Hi, today we're reading 1 Samuel, chapter 25, beginning on page 251. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep, so he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are turning away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to the men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your swords. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife. David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, Go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her and she met them. David had just said... It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Pay no attention, my lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. 
He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord had sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to your, my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of avenging himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahinoam of Jezreel and they were both his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galem. Let me pray for us. Our loving God and heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word. Father, you promised that your word would not return empty, and so we claim that promise now that by the power of your spirit you might speak to us, speak to our hearts, our minds, and our wills. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you more. 
So please speak powerfully through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Would help me to have your Bibles at 1 Samuel 25. It's a great cracking story this morning. I want to begin with some words of Jesus. Jesus said these words, do to others as you would have them do to you. It's called the golden rule of relationships. Do to other people as you would like them to do to you. It's the golden rule. It Treat other people how you would like to be treated. And we love that idea. That it would be kind, be gracious, be caring, be compassionate to other people. Because we want other people to be kind, gracious, compassionate, and caring to us. We love the golden rule because it works. It makes sense. It makes sense until someone wrongs you. It makes sense until somebody mistreats you and hurts you. And then we like to rewrite this rule into what I call the payback rule. And we want Jesus to say, do to others as others have done to you. Because we want to get even, don't we? We want revenge. We want payback. And that feels good and it feels right and it feels just and all that all that grace stuff and all that turn the other cheek stuff, that just flies out the window because what about me? What about how I'm feeling? You ever felt that? Come on, I know you have. I know you have. I know there's somebody in your life who has hurt you so badly and you've just wanted revenge. And we know that God has treated us with grace. We know that God gives us what we don't deserve. We know the undeserved kindness of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we love the concept of grace. But when we've been wronged and when we've been hurt, payback theology just feels good, doesn't it? Now, here's the problem with payback theology. Payback theology makes you even with somebody who you don't even like. Payback theology makes you like the person who has hurt you. And they pay you back, and you pay them back, and they pay you back, and you pay them back. And it spirals into this thing called hatred and harm and bitterness and revenge. And you become so angry. And it's so ugly. And in those moments, in those moments when you want revenge... In those moments when your, your mind is plotting and planning what you want to say and what you want to do, what you really need is somebody, anybody, anybody to speak into your life to wake you up, to wake you up and to reset the dial, to stop you making a decision that you will regret. Now, friends, I know this full well. I know this because a friend wronged me so, so, so badly. A friend betrayed me, kicked me in the teeth, someone I counted as a close friend, and I was so wounded and so hurt. And I I know I should have responded in grace, but I wanted revenge. And I used to lie on my bed at night thinking what I would say to him and how I would treat him. Another friend who didn't live in Sydney just happened to be in Sydney. 
And it just so happened he invited me out for a beer, and it just so happened that he quoted scripture at me. How dare someone quote scripture to the pastor? <laughs> I didn't want to hear it. It just so happened he quoted 1 Peter chapter 2 about Jesus entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And he said, Paul, you believe in God's justice, don't you? You believe that the Lord has got this, don't you? I didn't want to hear that. And he went further and talked about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, about not repaying evil for evil, but repaying with a blessing. I thought, I don't want to hear that. I wanted bitterness, not blessings. But it just so happened the Spirit of God gave me ears to hear. And in God's kindness, God woke me up to the folly of my revenge. It was a life-transforming conversation. God put this person in my life to, to tell me what I needed to hear to stop me doing something that I would have deeply regretted. Similar but different, a, a few years ago, about five years ago now, I was at a, at a conference in the UK. And just before I went, I kept getting these job offers. <laughs> Brisbane, Darwin, Melbourne, and Perth, and I wasn't looking to leave this church. I love this church, but it was like Satan was, was dangling and in, enticing me. I was at this conference in London during a worship session, and a random person who I'd never met before, who didn't know me, came up to me and said, I've got a word of prophecy for you. Never treat prophecy with contempt. He said, I don't know who you are, but you are very tired and very weary, and you've been doing ministry in the fast lane for way too long. And you always make stupid decisions when you're tired and weary. And I don't know you, but God's doing good work through you. So don't give up. Just keep on being faithful. And God put this person in my life with a word that stopped him making a decision that might have been unwise. That is 1 Samuel 25. It's a story about payback theology with divine intervention, with this divine stop sign. If you just joined us, uh, Samuel has been anointed king. He's defeated Goliath. Everyone loves David except for Saul. Saul has been pursuing David relentlessly, trying to kill him. Let's read this story. It's a cracking read. Verse 1. Now, now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. Of course they did, because Samuel was their judge, their prophet, their priest. But our story is not about Samuel, it's about Nabal and Abigail and David. We meet Nabal in verse 2. Actually, we meet his possessions before we meet him. Verse 2, we're told a man in Maon was very wealthy, or literally very great. His greatness lay in the abundance of his possessions. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. His possessions precede his person. He's defined by his wealth. You ever met those people on a learn or sure? I know you have. And you don't see them, you just see their stuff. They define themselves by all their possessions. That, that is Nabal. His name, verse 3, was Nabal. That's a terrible name to name a child. Uh, Bible names have Bible meanings. His name means fool. Imagine giving birth to a baby. Oh, I think I'll call him fool. Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool says in, heart, says in his heart, there is no God. 
or like the man that Jesus met who had lots of stuff and kept on building bigger and bigger barns for his stuff. And Jesus says, you fool. You're not rich towards God. This man is not rich towards God. He's not rich towards other people. We're told in verse 3, he was surly and mean in his dealing. So he is harsh. He's mean. He's a, he's a pain in the butt and no one likes him. His servants don't like him, verse 17. The enemies don't like him, verse 21. And even his own wife didn't really like him. So that's Nabal. He is spiritually, morally, socially a total disaster. And I think Nabal is supposed to remind us of Saul, that horrible, harsh leader who hated David. So Nabal is a fool. His wife, Abigail, is, is the exact opposite. She's wise. Verse 3, we're told that she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. Literally, she was full of wisdom and full of beauty. She had good sense and she's good looking. At verse 4, we meet David in the wilderness. And he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so verse 5, he said, Ten your men, and said to them, Go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And verse 7, I say, I, I hear that it's sheep shearing season. When your shepherds were with us, we didn't mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore be favorable to us. What he's saying is this. There was a time when David showed kindness and generosity toward Nabal's men. He protected them. He provided for them. But now the tables have turned and David's in need. So David goes to Nabal and says, would you show kindness to us? Do unto us as we have done unto you. That's what David is thinking. We were kind to you. Would you please be kind to us? But Nabal is a nasty man. Verse 10. He says, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Who does he think he is? I didn't ask him for help. I don't owe you anything. Verse 11, why should I take my bread, my water, my meat that I have slaughtered and give it to these people? That's a repeated word, my, 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 my. Have you ever, ever noticed that the people with the most stuff are often the meanest? I once had a friend who was very wealthy. We went out for dinner about once a month, and I always paid. And there was one evening where I thought, I'm not going to pay. And so he said, oh, let's split the bill. That is Nabal. He's, he, he's so consumed with his stuff, and he hates David. Now, now David is furious, verse 13. He's outraged. He says, each of you strap on your sword. Let's get ready to fight. I want revenge. Evil for evil. Eye for the eye. Tooth for the tooth. Do to others as has been done to you, says David. And this is a turning point of this story because, remember, David is God's anointed king. And yet he's angry and full of revenge and hatred. And he cannot be God's king with that kind of heart. So who's going to stop David? Who's going to stop David from making a stupid mistake and seeking revenge? And the answer is the amazing woman called Abigail. The servant, verse 14, who comes to Abigail and says, no, David's a good man. He was good to us. But Nabal is a horrible man. Verse 18, Abigail acted quickly. She's quick thinking. She's shrewd. She gets some some bread and some wine and some sheep and some grain, a goodwill offering, and she doesn't tell her husband. That was very wise. 
And verse 20, it just so happened that she's on a donkey in his ravine. It just so happens that David is there coming the opposite direction. And it just so happens that she hears what David says. And David says, vengeance is mine. I will pay back evil for evil. I swear I will kill every male in his household before dawn. This is crazy. This is not the David that we know. He, he's kind of flipped his lid. He's forgetting God's justice. He's forgetting God's vengeance. He is thinking, I've been wrong. I've been hurt. I will take revenge. I want to say, church, please don't judge him because we've all been there. But God places Abigail with a word of wisdom. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she, she got off her donkey and she bowed down that, that posture of respect and honouring. And she fell at his feet, verse 24, and she asked for forgiveness, for pardon. And then she speaks. She says, they'll pay no attention to, to Nabal, verse 25. His name means fool. He is a fool. But verse 26 is the key. Look at verse 26. And now, my Lord, that's David, as surely as the Lord, as, as Yahweh lives, since Yahweh has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, she talks to him as though he's already decided that he will not do it. He will not seek revenge. He will not have blood on his hands. She's saying, David, think about it. You're not going to do what you're about to do, are you? You can't be serious. David, please don't do this. Trust God, you're a good man. Don't be silly, David. And she pleads with him, verse 28. And she's prophetic in verse 29 about David's kingdom. And when you get to verse 30, she says, When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord David every good thing he promised, when you establish as king and he's appointed you as ruler, verse 31, David will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. He says, David, you, you don't want to be king and look back at this day in your life where you sought revenge and you're going to be full of remorse and full of guilt. It's a great story. She's stunningly wise. She's like the stop sign for making David doing something that he would deeply, deeply regret. And David listens, verse 32. God gives David ears to hear. He says, praise be to God who has sent you today. This is the hand of God. You are the voice of God. Verse 33, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed. Thank you, Lord, that I did not pursue the path I wanted to take. Otherwise, I'd have blood on my hands. That is the story. It's cracking. Two simple truths. Very quickly. Number one, the providence of God. God often puts people in our paths to stop us making a stupid decision. Do you believe that? God often puts people in your path to speak a word of truth into a critical moment of your life. God puts you in your path to bring some clarity to a difficult decision, to change your mind, to stop you making a choice that you will regret. I love that. It's not coincidence, it's providence. It's not it just so happened, it's the hand of God. God's providence means that God is in control, directing all things, the big and the little. Nothing happens by chance or fortune or fate. 
It just so happened that Abigail was there. No, that was God's providence. It just so happened that Abigail spoke boldly, and that was God's providence. The Lord used Abigail as his voice, verse 26. The Lord has kept you from bloodshed, she says. The Lord stopped you making this stupid mistake. David says in verse 32, Praise be to the Lord who has sent you to meet me. God has placed people in my life to speak a word that I didn't often want to hear, but I needed to hear. Do you ever ask God to put people in your life? Do you ever pray that God would put people into your life who would speak a truth that you need to hear? There's moments of decision-making. Do you ever ask God, please, God, put somebody in my life who can speak truth into into this decision so I don't regret it? We all need that. Especially when you're about to sin. Especially when you're about to do something that is going to offend God. You need somebody, that annoying person, who will quote a verse of scripture at you. But it's not just sinful choices, it's everyday choices. Should I move to a bigger house? That might be the right decision. But have you thought about leaving your community? moving your kids' schools, leaving your church family, and that person says, think about this before you do it. Maybe you've been offered a new job. It's good for your career. But have you thought about relocating your whole family and what that would do to you? Many people have left this church because they're offered a new job somewhere. And I meet them years later. Oh, the job's good and the house is wonderful, but spiritually they haven't found a church yet. I really believe that God places people in our lives at exactly the right time to speak exactly the right words to help you make exactly the right choice. 25 years ago, I was in a serious dating relationship with someone that we were talking about marriage. Went out for dinner one night with a group of about eight of us. The end of the evening, one of these blokes who I didn't know particularly well came up to me and said, is this the right relationship? You don't talk to her very nicely. You don't seem to cherish her like you should. And it's like this, the Lord was saying to me, is this right, Paul? Uh, 22 years ago, I was offered a job at a church in Brighton. It was a good church. Great church, great community. This is the UK. 24 hours before I said yes to that job, the phone rang with a random friend, and he said, I don't know why I phoned you. I just need to talk to you about this job. He said, you're a single man, Paul. I'm not persuaded this is the best place for you to be. And so I said no to that job, and then got offered a job here in Sydney. Last year, I was at my desk, and I received an email that was vicious and nasty and attacked me. And so I did what we all do. I just went, <laughs> And I was about to press send. And a text came through. A text came through for, with a Bible verse from somebody I hadn't heard from in a long time. I just paused. In that moment of pause, I thought, no, I can't send that response. Thank you, God. 
Church, God places people in your life at the right time to stop you making a stupid choice. Do you ever pray that God might do that? It's not just we need people, we need to have ears and humility to hear them. Sometimes God places the people in our lives, but we don't listen to them. We're like little kids saying, no, 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 I've made my decision. And David was humble enough to hear Abigail. Verse 33, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed. Thank you, Abigail, for saying these hard words to me. Perhaps he didn't want to hear them, but he needed to hear them. Are you open to correction? Are you open to wisdom? Are you prepared to be challenged? I love this quote. In his kindness, God often slows us down in decision-making. He slows us down so we can see more clearly, see the full picture, see the consequence of our choices. In his mercy, God often sends frustration to our plans and purposes in the former people. That's the providence of God. And finally, the vengeance of God. See, Abigail is wise way, way, way ahead of her time. She's basically saying to David, David, let God avenge, not you. Leave this matter in God's hands because he is much better at vengeance than you ever will be. Remember, David's on his donkey. He's heading down that ravine. He's rehearsing all the stuff he's going to do, would like to do, uh, that payback theology. And Abigail is there to remind him that, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Look at these verses from Romans chapter 12. They're on the screen. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Just stop there. That person who's wronged you, don't retaliate. Don't slander. Don't badmouth them. Don't hold the grudge. Don't hurt them in any way. No, that's hard. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be above reproach. Don't stoop to their level. Speak kindly to them. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with them. Don't inflame, pursue peace, take the initiative, be a peacemaker. If it's possible, it may not be possible. As far as it depends on you, have you done everything you possibly can to show grace and kindness towards the person who's hurt you? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. That's the theology. Trust God to do the right thing. Entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Punishment is God's domain, not yours. Let me share this truth that you've got to believe that God is always, always, always better at vengeance than you ever will be. Because God knows it all. God knows all the motives. He knows all the details. He is a perfect judge who makes no mistakes. God will judge with perfect justice. And God really will take care of it, whether now in this moment, and if not now, on that final day of judgment. So hand it over to God. 
Give it over to God. Entrust yourself to God who judges justly. But it's not just hand it over to God. It's one further step. Not hand it over to God, but hand out good. That's where it gets really hard. 1 Peter 3 verse 9, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Because to this you were called, so you may inherit a blessing. That's remarkable. Can I say, friends, it will set you free. It will set you free. It will liberate you. When that person who has wronged you, that person who has hurt you, you entrust it to God. And you don't seek revenge, but you seek blessing. The, 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 the question I've learned to ask is, is what story do I want to be telling about every decision I make? Just fast forward five years' time. In, in this moment, you've got to make a choice, a decision. As you, as you look forward in five years' time, what story do you want to tell? And I don't want to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I got even. Yeah, I got revenge. Yeah, I got bitter. I want to be able to say it was so hard and it was so painful. But I sought to bless them and to be gracious to them. And God, by his spirit, liberated me. So do to others as you would have them do to you. I'll finish with this. How has God treated you? Think about that question. How has God treated you? What do you deserve from God? I deserve payback. You deserve payback. You've treated God so badly. You've hurt him. You've harmed him. But our God isn't to payback. He's into pardon. Our God's into pardon and grace and forgiveness and kindness. And the more that you see Jesus, the more you see the depth of Jesus' sacrifice for you and the love of Jesus for you, the more you understand you are cherished and redeemed and restored by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more you focus on Jesus and stop looking at this situation in front of you, the more that God will equip you to respond with a blessing and not with a curse. Let me pray. Our Father, we acknowledge that there are people in our lives who have hurt us and wronged us. And Father, we acknowledge there are times where we just want payback and revenge. And so I pray now for a powerful work of your Holy Spirit. Spirit of God, would you, would you show us that vengeance belongs to you, Lord, not to us. And we ask, Lord, that you put people in our lives, that you put that person into our life, even today, who can speak wisdom and truth and grace and clarity into our lives. And Father, for those of us here having to make a, a difficult decision today, would you put people into their paths right now who can shine your truth and your wisdom into that? And we ask that for Jesus' sake.